Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. and welcome to episode 294 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is actually Saturday night. We're a day earlier than usual. I'll explain that momentarily. In part, though, it's uh, sort of a downtrodden episode, and we'll talk about this at the, at the top, but uh, this is not your favorite day. My co-host today is Eric Cole, who is uh, not enjoying himself this afternoon slash evening. Yeah, I've definitely had better days as um, you know, as a fan of baseball in general, and particularly of my adult Canadian son Michael Soroka, uh, who got some pretty rough news this past last day or two, and just been it's been kind of a rough one. You know, it's you see like an injury happen like that to you know just such a like in addition to just like a really important player and you know someone that you kind of admire watching you know play the game, but also just kind of a genuinely really good human being. Yeah, so obviously we, we we might have some new listeners conceivably that we may not know uh, all about your torrid affair with Mike Soroka, um, uh, but yep. he, he's your he's your favorite prospect basically of all time. Is that is, would that be accurate? Uh, that that is accurate. I've been covering him since my like probably one of my first I don't know of the first ten articles that I wrote a talking shop period. Uh, one of them was when the Braves drafted him. Um, I mean, I'm sure I probably, I think I wrote a couple before that, but. Yeah, it was very. It was really close to the beginning. Uh, oddly enough, I undersold him at the time, uh, and then he was the first, one of the first minor league players I ever interviewed. Uh, was blown away by him. Has been follow, been following him ever since. You know, it's he's my, he's my guy. You know, it's just there's nothing else to it. And I I have not ever wa- walked away or backed down from that, uh, and I still don't. Uh, I I refuse to bet against that kid. But at the same time. You know, today's one of those particularly tough days when you're reminded that, you know, baseball and sports in general are not necessarily designed to be fair. Yeah, so we'll go through it, you know, with some news and then we'll kind of break down what the sort of fallout might be. But the Braves announced midday, I guess, late morning on Saturday that Soroka is going to be out for a while. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy. You use the word fair unlucky is a word that I keep coming in my brain. Like the fact that he suffered a re tear essentially in his Achilles while just walking um, is the way that it was reported. And uh, that just, that's just not something that's supposed to happen. And it's just, you know, it's for him to raise to the rise to the level that he was able to as a professional athlete and be an all-star and all that stuff. And to have that happen, you know, we're basically a year, almost a year now, not even a year actually, since he tore his red Achilles originally August 3rd and to have the re tear happen, um, the day after he gets out of the walking boot is just so 
excruciating. I mean, you have to figure, I mean, there's baseball stuff yeah. that we'll talk about, but just, I'm glad you pointed this out because the, the human side is just awful. I mean, this is, this is a young guy with, you know, sky's the limit and all that stuff for baseball, but just the, the freak nature of it. And the fact that he's now going to miss, you know, you would assume two full seasons, if not more. Um, it's just kind of a crazy thing. And I was kind of at a loss for words and it's been a few hours now, but I don't want to act like he passed away because he didn't, but it's, it's awful news. I mean, there's no question about it. It's, it's uh, as brutal as it could possibly be within the realm of, you know, normal injury, I suppose. Yeah. And I think it's important to kind of keep some perspective on these things. Cause there's been a lot of people who've been saying, you know, like the Braves rushed him back and this caused all that. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that there was there, the Braves had plenty of opportunities to really make this feel rushed. You know, but like when they announced the DH decision, they're like, hey, we're just going to take it. We're just going to take it easy on him. As soon as he encountered any soreness with it, like they shut him down right away. Uh, I think what seems to be a rational explanation is that, you know, sometimes guys rupture their Achilles. It just happens. I mean, the play that he ruptured it on the first time was innocuous enough. He just turned a little bit on the mound when he was going to field a ball and you could see it pop. Yep. That's not nothing, nothing, nothing crazy happened. No crazy. He didn't roll his ankle over or anything like that. And then when that happens, you know, you you get laid up and you just you don't have strength in that calf anymore just because you're you're in a walking boot and you're recovering. You're not supposed to be doing anything. You're supposed to be letting it heal. And then that happens and then he also has the setback with, you know, the the sutures being rejected by his body, which is like another just very rare complication which just kind of adds to the shitty luck of all this. And, you know, then he like so that's less time he can really take to to really rehab it. He he, he was in a walking boot. And, you know, how long was he recovering from, like, you know, in a boot, not doing anything, or on a scooter, or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, you just, there's no strength being built up in that calf. And, you know, when he, when it takes off, you know, that's kind of a, a fragile part of, you know, the rehab process is when you're, like, you're first starting to be active again. It's kind of slowly stretching things out. And I don't anyone did, I truly don't think anyone did anything wrong. I just think it's crappy luck. And couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. And that's what makes it feel worse is that everyone loves Mike. Everyone. There's not, there's no one's like, you know, like, well, it's about time we've moved on from that guy. Or, you know, like, I think that guy's a jerk anyway. Everyone loves Mike. He's an incredible pitcher, you know, has put up real results for this team. You know, like, you know, like a top finish in rookie year voting, you know, got Cy Young votes. He was an important pitcher on some really good Braves teams recently. He was. And on top of that, just being like a genuinely great human being and a great part of the Braves community, to have this run of bad luck basically cost him three full seasons is awful. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the best. That's a, a good word for it, to be sure. And kind of run on the numbers. Obviously, he's not – he's still very, very young. This was a crazy thing that I sort of, you know, did the math on. Even if he does not come back until 2023, and, you know, we can get into the uncertainty of that even, but that's the following season – he would still be 25 years old for the majority of the 2023 season. This is a very, very young man. And, yeah, and, that's, and that's how old Kyle Wright is right now. Yeah, so obviously we can get into it now, I suppose. You know, the there's not really a lot of sample size on two Achilles tears in the same leg. You know, a lot of the reaction uh, was, I think, justifiably like, man, this could be career-threatening, and I think that is certainly in play. Um, I think it, he benefits from being very young. Um, just because normally you're a little bit better of a healer when you're that age and all that stuff. But we're kind of in new territory. This has not happened 
very often, particularly with a high-level athlete. I, you know, I was reading some stuff from sports medicine people, and I know Jeff Pass put out a, a study that was out there, and I, I'm not going to tell you that I understand any of it, honestly. But at the very least, it's not it's not a guarantee by any means that he is going to be fully back in himself in a year or even two years. This is a sort of unforeseen territory kind of injury, which makes it even more difficult to digest because it's not like you know he tore his ACL and then he came back and you know blew out his elbow and they're separate injury this is the same same foot and by all accounts you know doing this twice is is not is you know beyond the obvious nature of just the injury doing it again in the same foot is uh, extra bad news yeah and we again we don't have like what's for a pitcher even what's the you know what how much longer do you like does, does the is the rehab process longer or different for a second Achilles tear? What do you do differently? You know, you know what I mean? Like what it's hard for me to even wrap my head around kind of what you're supposed to do in this situation. I mean, are there other therapies that you can like do on top of on top of what you normally do to kind of make sure the healing process, you know, sticks more? Is there a different type of repair that can be done? You know what? We, there's lots of stuff we just don't know, and you know, obviously the surgeon's going to go in and ultimately make that decision for him in a lot of cases. But you're you're right though. Everything's in play. You know, I again I refuse to bet against Mike Soroka. Like I just I just won't do it because um, I I think that you know considering like all the doubters he's had since the day he was drafted, you know he all he does is work harder than everyone else, does everything that he's supposed to do, and ultimately, you know. If anyone's going to come back and, you know, be a productive baseball player from this, it's going to be Mike. But at the same time, I mean, like, we're, we're dealing with, you know, medical stuff that, I mean, look, when a guy tears, has Tommy John, the first one, everyone's like, that stinks, you know, we'll see him in 18 months or whatever. When you start talking about the second one for the same guy, it's like, oh, everyone it's, starts oh, going, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's different. And we have a better sample size for guys like that. We don't have it for this, but an Achilles injury, I mean, like a, a single Achilles injury in the NBA or the NFL, I mean, you're acutely aware there are guys that just don't come back from the first one. Yeah, it's it's, it's starting to be a little bit better in terms of the results, you know, Kevin Durant, et cetera. But for a long, long time, especially in the NBA, one Achilles tear was like, you are not the same. Like you come back, most guys come back, but you're just not able to get 100% of back where you were. And, you know, being a pitcher is so much different than even it's, it's weird yeah it's, it's all it's all very or... odd i mean we're all guessing but at, at the bare minimum we both just said it but just as one more time here the the track record of having this happen twice in the same foot as a professional athlete just go, go beyond go beyond baseball high level athlete it's not it's not good i mean it's you would have preferred not that you would prefer any injury but if you had to say all right what soroka suffers two you know year long injuries Anything would have been better than the same thing twice in your in your in your Achilles. I mean, short of Tommy John, the same arm. Like you don't want to have the same thing happen to you twice because now now it's chronic. Now you're weakened by the recovery. Just using your common sense, it's just not good news. So I'm with you. I'm not gonna rule. I'm not gonna rule anything out. Snicker was fairly upbeat today, as much as you possibly can be. Nobody's happy about this, but you know he said the same thing you did. Basically, they're they're not gonna give up on him. They're not gonna rule anything out with him. They kind of all believe in him. And you know we're gonna guess, but. You know, for now, he'll be kind of out of sight, out of mind for a while because, you know, in theory, he could come back next summer. But in my mind, at least right now, I'm thinking 2023 just to be safe, just because, yeah, he could come back next summer for sure. But you got to think they're going to be pretty careful with him. Uh, and, and you can't and you can't plan on that. You no, just, like, you, you can't, can't. You can't. Yeah. This year they banked on him, I think. I mean, to some level, they were banking on him coming back at some point, you know, 
back in the winter, you and I and me and Scott and you and Scott, we talked about this. Like they thought he might be back in April. And then he had the shoulder thing and the setbacks. But this time around in 2022, they, they cannot bank on him being there. They have to treat that as a bonus. And they, and they won't, I don't No, think. they can't. I mean, they, they genuinely can't. I mean, even if you were the most optimistic person in the world and thought, all right, 12 months from now, he'll be back. That's still, you know, midway through the season. And that's with, you know, perfect recovery. And I don't know, it's just a lot. So I know you're looking positively. I'll, we'll try to do that here. And obviously we're all rooting for him as a guy on top of being uh, the pitcher. But it's just awful news. But I have nothing else to say about it, honestly. Just we all hope that he gets better. And, um, you know, he, he just looked at the media, what, last week? Uh, and was fairly upbeat. Like he was not, of course, this happened before, yeah, he, it was before this. But I don't know. Yeah, he was happy with the results of the exploratory because he just didn't know what was going on. And they told him that the Achilles was sound, you know, and I don't, and I, I don't think that they like a bunch of like high level, like people in the medical field looking at a very important pitcher's scan. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's just, I, I get, I get why people might raise their eyebrows because it, it doesn't look good, but the last thing that you and I are going to do is come on here and, and, and accuse the medical staff of messing this up. Like, I don't know, man. I mean, is it, is that conceivable? Sure. I mean, it's always conceivable that somebody did something wrong. But it sounds like, at least I think the most likely scenario would be that it's just a freak accident and a freak weird thing and something went wrong. I mean, we don't know and we probably, we'll probably we probably never know like what actually happened in terms of that's just injury stuff. But I'm not going to come on here and be like, point fingers at the medical staff right now on this. I just, yeah, I have no idea. Actual no medical training right here. No, zero. <laughs> None. So we don't know anything about that. But regardless, I mean, that's probably enough on this unless you have anything else to say. It's just, it's awful news and we, we, we wish the best for Mike. I guess that's where I leave it for me. Yeah. Life is pain. Yeah. You know, that's pretty much it. That's Brutal, pretty much brutal it. up and down, up and down. Uh, one more injury thing, less serious, but Tucker Davidson um, is going to be out for a while as well. Obviously not quite on the level of Soroka in terms of prospect pedigree, but pitched pretty well when he came up. He's on a 60-day 60 60 day IL now um, with a forearm strain. They thought it might not be serious. They were talking pretty positively about it, and now it's a 60-day. So I don't know what to make of that, but he's going to be out for two months because that's just the way that has to happen now. Uh, any any thoughts on the Tucker Davidson loss? Because you know he wasn't necessarily part of the plan this year, but for a couple of weeks, maybe you know ten days or so, it was like, all right, Tucker Davidson's in the rotation for a while. Um, so I kind of I didn't like I wasn't thinking that he could he would go to the sixty DIIL necessarily, but I didn't expect him back anytime soon just because it seemed like, you know, like we weren't getting news about it, and then they were like kind of talking about. You know, they when they put him on the 60-day IL, the explanation was they just think that there's not anything structurally wrong. Is that by the time that he starts throwing again and then gets built back up, it's just going to be 60 days anyway. Which again, like you know, just, that means that there was just a strain and you know that there was an injury. It's not just a you know kind of a fluke pull or something like that. And that's kind of what the impression that we got was. So you know, it stinks to be sure because this is not a team that can like everyone like. Players are dropping left and right. You, if you look at the between the injured list and the guys who just can't like you know have first forgotten how to play baseball anymore, or or in, under imminent threat of being incarcerated, there's I mean like you can fill out a pretty good major league roster if everyone was healthy. So it's you know a really frustrating thing. But at the same time, in terms of like him coming out until coming back in August, like I'm not super worried about Tucker. You know, you always worry about a guy going on the 60-day IL just because you never really know what was wrong. But I mean, but Tukey was on the 60-day IL, and you know, some of that's roster management too because they had to make some some choices regarding their 40-man rosters to get enough guys to actually play these bullpen games and all that stuff too. That is very so, important to point out, by the way. Not that we yeah. know that to be the case, but 
the 60 day IL is a very convenient mechanism <laughs> to create 40 man spots if they have to do that. So Jesse Chavez, yeah. 40 man roster spot. I'm still blown away by that. We'll get into that momentarily. It's good bridge, actually, Eric. Right, before we get to uh, the games and another, yes, another middling week for the Atlanta Braves, we'll take uh, a second here from our sponsors to hold on tight. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Eric, let us discuss the actual baseball results from this week. And again, we're recording this Saturday night, so we have not seen the Sunday game. This is an eight-game week for the Braves in seven days because of the doubleheader. But uh, to this point, they are three and four, which is not what the doctor ordered. It's not, a, again, I'm a broken record. This is not a full-on disaster. Like if they had gone one and six, it would have been uh, actually a disaster. But three and four is not what they wanted to do this week, very obviously. Um, we'll start with the Mets series, you know, four games in three days, and they split. You know, we'll, we'll dive into all of them, but, you know, the Mets are ahead of you in the standings. The Mets are playing better than you are right now. I guess, in theory, a split against a team that's quote-unquote better than you at the moment is not a bad result, but it was also a perfect time to make up some ground. So I found myself at least mildly frustrated by the results, um, especially because of the way they, you know, you know the, two, the two losses were uh, a little bit frustrating. Let's, let's just say that. Yeah, I... Look, any four-game series in which Jacob Degrom pitches, I don't think there's any sense scenario where the Braves sweep. <laughs> I mean, does they, that make sense? No, not 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 sweep. I mean, they had they had a. Yeah, you would have liked you you would have liked to go three 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 out of four. I mean, they one. had a, they had a chance. They had a chance. Yeah, yeah, they they, they absolutely did. Uh, f- unfortunately, Shane Green and Sean Newcomb conspired to make can, sure that can didn't we happen. can we just can we discuss? Hold on, this is an annual. This is a weekly tradition now. Um, okay. Can we discuss Snit going to Sean Newcomb with the bases loaded when Sean Newcomb I, had a near seven ERA before they brought him in that game? And listen, this is a pro Sean Newcomb reliever podcast. I've been very high on this. Um, um, I'm giving up now, I think, for the for the most part. <laughs> but I'll just say that. So I'm, I'm saying that as a preface to say, like, that was an insane decision to go to Newcomb there because he had just been flat out bad. And that's, again, broken record. But that's probably the single highest leverage moment of the game at that moment. And you bring in Sean Newcomb. That was the decision. Interesting. You know, Snicker is famously in these spots where, like, the Braves are either behind or tied in an inning that is not does not is not the seventh, eighth, or ninth, willing to run out the team's worst relievers in regardless of the situation. That's just true. Can confirm. Uh, uh, now that said, and again, this was this was a, this was a doubleheader, which you know we have seen Snicker recently make really really puzzling bullpen decisions in doubleheaders recently. Like he's like ones that like make me throw. Oh yeah, my- Scott Scott and I spent a lot of time in the last two podcasts about some bullpen management stuff. So that's uh, nothing new on this podcast for sure. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? Is that the decision to go to Newcomb was bad, and giving up the three run double was pretty much the most predictable outcome possible in that situation. Especially when I'm pretty sure it was Dom Smith that hit the double, who has reverse splits. Yep. So you brought a lefty in against a guy who hits lefties well. But that's neither here nor there, right? Yep. The, the, the problem here is that Shane Green has been actively bad. Yep. He's been bad. 
since since signing. And I don't want to, like, there's been multiple Shane Green into X bad reliever situations where Shane Green has left them in really bad situations. We, we can all agree that that is a thing that has happened repeatedly. So that's problematic because he did bring in Shane Green, which in theory should have been good. By the like, way, he, like he Shane, Shane Green's strand rate right now um, is 34%, which is like the most comically shocking. low number imaginably. Yeah. But I will say this, Shane Green is also, um, he's thrown in six games. I think he has, yeah, he has almost a walk per nine. Sorry, almost a walk per inning that he's pitched. So he's been both bad and, un- and unlucky. Like his ERA technically is over 17 right now because of all the inherited runners scoring. But it's, his expected ERA is 4.01. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, welcome. I mean, fun with small samples, but he's, yeah, it's he, has, he hasn't passed. The he's been bad test. though. Yeah, he's been bad, flat out. So, so like going to the original decision of bringing in Shane Green, no problems, right? In theory, it's the fifth. But inning. now, I mean, what are you gonna do? Right. Yeah, you bring in Shane Green, and you you expect him to not be Sean Newcomb, <laughs> and then he does a Sean Newcomb thing, and then he brings in Sean Newcomb, which is the very puzzling decision, but. We also have a situation, too, with this Braves bullpen. I mean, Will Smith's been better, and you know, but we've seen Chris Martin look actively bad and hasn't pitched very much. Of the top 30, like, there was a report going around that of the top 30 players who have seen the most the sig- most significant spin rate drop yeah. since the ban on foreign, foreign substances, the Braves have two. Isn't Matzik? Matzik's pretty high Matzik, on the list. Yeah. yeah Matzik is sixth, I think, and Luke Jackson. Yeah, and Luke's, so uh, Luke's slider um, spinner, and I went out of my way kind of with Scott the last couple weeks to not discuss the sticky stuff because I just – I'm bored by it. But uh, this was the week where it really hit the fan because they started enforcing it and all that stuff. And you have to look at that and at least raise your eyebrows, particularly with Matzik, because the numbers that I was seeing on the StatCast data are uh, fairly jarring in, t- in terms of how yeah, bad, so, big the drops are. So, so now like guys like Matzik and Jackson, who have been pretty good, yep. all of a sudden – have seen an appreciable drop, at least in their spin rate, at least in the short term. Then you have Chris Martin, who has seemingly has something going on where he's not right, and I'm not sure if that's grip-related or he has another little nagging injury thing or he's just going through a bad spell or whatever. And then you have the maddening inconsistency of the guys who are even the guys you rely on, plus you guys have guys like Sean Newcomb in your bullpen, who I would not run out in any game, but when you're playing this many games with this many doubleheaders, you know... Snicker is not making optimal decisions. No. Will, no one will convince me of that. It's not happening. He is not making the situation better by how he's managing this bullpen. He's not. I would agree. But there is a systemic and very real problem with the bullpen. And I say this as a, you know, someone who we don't have all the information about how, like, the health of these guys and, like, you know, what they're trying to manage innings and what's going on with all of them. But at some point, you have to go, maybe it's the wrong decisions are being made. I, I think it's – I think it's – I mean – we're definitely guilty of focusing at, on sticker at times and management. I think I think the answer, and this is the easy answer, but it's also the correct one, is that it's both. I think his management has not been good at the bullpen this year, full stop. And the bullpen, the performances from individual players has been has also been bad. Like it can it can and probably is both. So the nuance is trying to figure out how much of how much is on either and, side. And, but, and one and one magnifies the other. When you bring in the wrong guy yeah. and he's extra bad, then the results are really bad. Yeah, it makes you know, it makes things like, look brutal. And you know, Smith has. While well, you say I agree, he's been better. He's not been the guy that they hoped he'd be when they signed him. Like I think we all would acknowledge that. Um, yep. And then you throw in, you know, 
Shane Green has not been good. Uh, you've had some you've had some drop offs from some guys. Also, the bullpen, as we talked about preseason, was always going to be worse. I mean, they lost some arms from this bullpen. Um, it didn't look terrible on paper by any means, but it didn't look like an elite pen either. And they've always been pretty bad on the whole. So yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything. But I, I do I would agree, obviously, that Snicker's not done a great job and. Uh, that was one that sort of stood out to me as not the reason they lost, but certainly contributed to uh, the end result of a 4-2 loss when that one swing allows three runs. Like, you can't really ignore that. Um, the, I guess the brightest spot of the whole week, you would say, would have been the back-to-back wins. So Monday night and then Tuesday, um, the Braves win by a combined score of 4 nothing across two games. Um, Ian Anderson and Charlie Morton throw a pair of gems. Uh, Will Smith had some issues, we'll say, on Monday. Ended up closing the game out, but uh, there was some... Uh, <laughs> Barely. Yeah, there was some there was some drama at the end of that Monday night game in the seventh. But, you know, Ian was really, really good on Monday, and the mentor was good as well. And then Charlie Morton was absolutely lights out. Um, back-to-back shutouts, as I said, but Morton essentially has been, you know, top of the line the last two outings. Yeah, whatever that adjustment, whatever that adjustment was, has done the trick. And yeah, he's, fourteen he's and two thirds innings, four hits, two walks, eighteen strikeouts, and two starts, like just utterly dominant. And you know, Morton, we have kind of kept the faith in Morton the entire season. I was never really worried about him, but with those two starts, his ERA is now like in the mid threes, and it looks just fine. So we'll hope that keeps rolling. But uh, he was dominant in those outings. And uh, by the way, in both games, Monday and Tuesday, the only runs came on home runs. So it was Ronnie on Monday and then a three-run blast by Dansby in the third inning on Tuesday. And that gets into um, what we'll probably talk about in a second about the offense and kind of how it was flailing this week. But they also, it didn't matter on Tuesday, but they had a bases-loaded no-out situation in the second and didn't score. It was strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. Granted, it was it was 8-9-1 and one coming up. It was Enciarte, Morton, and then Acuna with two outs. But uh, those are the kind of things that you just can't really live through when you don't score base loaded no outs. And, and they won the game, but uh, that was sort of microcosm in some ways too. Well, I mean, look, there, there, there are games this week where it's, it felt like the Braves had three pitchers at the bottom of their lineup. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just, yeah. you know, you get a, you get a little bit of get a little bit of something going. And, you know, Ronnie hasn't been exactly his, his usual self either. He's been striking out a little bit more lately. I mean, I'm sure some of that is just, you know, he's, had his back issue, and so he may be a little bit rusty. He he also couldn't be like you know Babe Ruth crossed with Ted Williams all season long. He was gonna have to, no. he was going to cool off at some point, and that's not to say he's not incredible because he is. But he was on a pace that no one short of Barry Bonds was gonna sustain. He was ridiculous for like you know two months basically. Yeah, and I mean again, like in the game before, you know where he struck you know, the the game before he struck out with the bases loaded, the only run got scored on a Ronald Acuna home run. Yep. Yep. And like Ronald Acuna is the last problem on like he he's the the lowest of problems period. You know what I mean, any slump that he's in, like he's the reason the Braves are even threatening 500 right now. If he wasn't on the team, they'd be in last place. I have no doubt about that. None. If he was if he was not doing what he was doing because Freddie hasn't been the same guy. Obviously, Ozuna's been out, and you know, offensively, I mean, we we've seen spurts from Ozzy here and there. But other than that, I mean, it's been really hard to kind of stitch things together. And with the pitching stru- struggling as much as they have been, like they can't live on two one wins as we've seen. They they lose a lot more close games than anything. So, <laughs> yes, they do. Um, yep, they, and it's just you know it's it's it's, it's I, I understand why it's frustrating to watch because again like you have Ender and Ciarte batting batting eighth and like more often than not it's when he's up there it's like running up a white flag. Yeah, it's it's not. Uh... 
It's not what you want. Um, we're we're, we're, we're going to come back to the offense at the end of this because I have some numbers and we'll kind of go through how bad it was in the last nine, ten days. But um, we'll leave it there for now. I don't, want, I don't want to forget to touch on the next thing because uh, Jesse Chavez started a game for the Atlanta Braves this week. He did. I would have I, I lost a bet on that um, at any at any point in history other than Thursday. Uh, for those of you that may not be uh, old enough or uh, may, not have, may not have the best memory in the world, Jesse Chavez – Almost 38 years old. Um, pitch for the Braves back in 2010 was last time, which is, again, that's 11 yep. years ago. Um, I was uh, almost a young man at that point. Um, the last time he pitched for the Braves, um, these guys were in the lineup. It was Martin Prado, Chipper Jones, Jason Hayward, uh, Troy Gloss, Eric Hinsky. Those guys were all playing that day. So that tells you how long, it was, how long ago it was. He, didn't, he was not very good. Uh, and that's not a surprise. You know, that was obviously – it was going to be a bullpen game, and it still was – it was just wild to me when I heard and that it, it was happening. Been, it could have been worse. <laughs> I mean, they didn't get they they didn't get killed in that game. It wasn't like he was like he lit the the mount on fire. But that was uh that was wild. And I think you might have been going here, but if, if you weren't, my apologies. Uh, he was better than Kyle Wright was the previous day, <laughs> which is Wright was really really bad. Uh, and again, another one of those situations where you know Max Fried gets put on the injured list uh, with blisters, and you know. Tons of speculation as to you know like you know our Freed's blister issues, which were well documented in the minor the minor leagues as well as early in his major league career. You know, yep. do did is he a guy that is more adversely affected by the lack of grip grip agents than maybe others? Uh, I certainly couldn't tell you that. I I'm simply just more likely to believe that a guy who's had plenty of blister issues in the past is likely to have blister issues in the future, uh, and which is kind of explains what was going on with him. But Wright was really really bad. He was I mean, really... what do you what do you make of that? Because obviously you've been you've been watching him pitch for longer than most people have. It's gotten to the point where I think it's hard to find people that still believe in Kyle Wright. Unfortunately, I mean, for a guy who was a top five pick, his star has fallen a lot. And I, I will be the first to admit that I am not an expert on guys I've only seen pitch a you know a couple of handfuls, but not, not a ton. I don't have the greatest grasp on Kyle Wright and his offerings and all that stuff compared to like people that watch him more intently than I have in the minors and stuff, but. I know what I've seen in the majors, and it's not been very good very often. And I thought he looked—I thought he looked awful. I mean, that, I watched that. I watched that start. He did not look like a major league starting pitcher in that start, and that's that's unfortunate for a guy who you mentioned earlier in the podcast. We're talking about talking about Soroka. He's 25. I mean, it's not like this is a 22-year-old. 25 is not ancient, but it's not like he is. Again, he's not 21. Uh, this is not someone who's just coming up um, as super super young. And I don't know, man. People are giving up, and I have a hard time kind of talking them off the ledge. I'm usually good at saying don't don't overreact, but the what we've seen has not been good. He looked like the fourth or best. This is what I tweeted out about it: is that he looked like the fourth or best starting pitching prospect as a guy that you could like have coming up in a spot start situation, which is exactly what he's been. Because the, look how many other guys have gotten chances at starting pitching uh, starts instead of Wright, who is just sitting there. On the forty-man roster as an option. I mean, like Bryce Wilson, Enoa, and they, and they went to him because he was like he because he could pitch basically on Wednesday. yeah, they, they, like they they couldn't go to the, like you know Tucker's hurt, Muller had just pitched. I mean, like they added Kyle Muller to the roster instead of letting Kyle Wright pitch in a game. Correct. You know what I mean? Like that the, that tells you where the Braves have him right now. He can't command the he can't command at the top of the zone, particularly with his fastball. And in this game's in this in this version of baseball that we have right now if you can't pitch at the top of the zone 
and you have to live kind of like fat in the middle of the bottom of the zone to throw strikes, you're going to get teed off on, which is exactly what happens. And combined with his command issues, and like I have real issues with like kind of how you approach his batters and he tries to attack guys, particularly the second time through an order. He's just, it's just not good. It's just not. And, you know, he has looked, I would call passable in AAA this year, but he hasn't looked particularly great. He kind of is what he is right now. It's a guy that doesn't have the command, you know, like when his stuff, his stuff can look good, but he doesn't trust it. And instead he just tries to, he like, you know, either he over, starts overthrowing and can't keep him like keep within himself. And, you know, like he's, throwing uncompetitive pitches that no one's going to swing at. And then, so he, all of a sudden, he gets in these hitters' counts, and he just throws balls fat over the plate. And these are major league hitters, and his his stuff's not that good. If you're having to take that much of it, just throw a strike, it's just going to get hit hard. So he walks a bunch of guys. He doesn't look good with runners on base. He doesn't look good the first time after the first time through the order. When is he good? Yeah, I mean, okay, so the sample sizes are all still pretty small. He's not pitched a ton in the major leagues, but he has 14 starts which is like a half season and his ERA as a starter. So he has his ERA as a reliever in nine innings is actually 4.0, which is a small sample size and whatever his ERA as a starter in 14 starts is 6.93. And the peripherals don't tell you that that was a fluke. They actually tell you that he might've even been worse. Um, the walks are sky high. Uh, the homers have been sky high in his career as a starter. It's just not, there, there isn't a lot to grab onto other than his prospect pedigree, which I know you were not always as high on as other people necessarily. Correct me if I'm wrong, but no, I just, I, I never, I never, like, again, I've saw him pitch. He's pitched good games. Let's just be clear about that. Sure. Right? And like you, I understand why you spend a high pick on him, but he's never looked good after the first time through an order. Like never looked particularly like well, he, even in the minors. Level. I mean, yep. Again, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to box score scout Kyle Wright, but even in the minors, you're talking about a guy who had, in 2019, his last full season in the minors, he had a 4.17 ERA in Gwinnett. Like, that's not that's not dominant by any means. Like, that's okay. But for a top five prospect, top five pick in the draft, like, that's not, like, blowing you away. And even this year, in eight starts, it's 3.76 with a 4.68 XFIP. Like, he's not blowing away AAA competition. Um, the only thing, the only thing that folks were, were hanging their hats on, and I was even guilty of it a little bit, is, is that the second half of 2019, he was significantly better, and you makes you think, hey, maybe he made an adjustment, and he's figured something out. But any adjustment that Kyle Wright has made in his professional career has not stuck; it just hasn't. Same, and it's it's not exactly the same situation because this issues. But Luke, Lucas Sims is another example of that—a guy who had really good stuff, in theory but had a fastball that he struggled to command, particularly at the top of the zone, and would have either mechanical issues or approach issues that were inconsistent and made it look, made all of a sudden a guy who you would think could be a reasonable starter now profile at best as a reliever. Yeah, I mean... And when when those adjustments don't stick, like, what are you supposed to do? You're You're just a guy who's just throwing batting practice. Yeah, so I don't want to pile on too much, but I just feel like we it was it was a big topic midweek on Bray's Twitter and other places about how rough it was, and no one's saying that he can't he can't recover from it and can't ever be a contributor. But he'll be 26 in a couple months, and the clock is ticking. Let's just say on uh, on Kyle Wright as a Braves contributor because eventually, I mean, maybe maybe he'll be a guy who needs to change change the scenery or whatever happens, but uh, it isn't going well at the moment. Um, 
Okay, more more of a bright spot that I want to focus on now with kind of a smile, but also with kind of a uh, laugh and some pleasure. Uh, Drew, Drew Smiley has been good recently. I, I almost he said has. pretty good, but he's actually been like full stop good. So Friday night, he he was the pitcher, and they, they won the game on Friday. Um, shouts to um, Heredia, by the way, who had a homer, a double, and a great defensive play. He had a big game and missed a couple of games before that with a wrist issue, so good to have him back and uh, kind of a weird statement to say how, how badly the Braves needed him, but they actually did in that game. Um, but back to Drew Smiley, six innings, six hits, one run, no walks, three strikeouts, not, not crazy. Didn't allow a run until the sixth inning, though. Um, I have some stats for you, Eric. Drew Smiley, in June, has a 2.84 ERA and five starts. Not a huge sample size, but that's a full month of a, of a, of a rotation, guys. Sub three ERA. We, we, we take that. Uh, 1.62 ERA in the last three starts. And this is the one that I want to focus on for a second. Obviously, he was god-awful in April. We all know that. He had an 8.05 ERA in April. That's obviously untenably bad. Ever since, so this is two full months, all of May, all of June, his ERA is 3.52. I, I don't know if it's real, but Drew Smiley has been a perfectly fine mid-late rotation pitcher for two months now. And we're all crossing our fingers. It's kind of hilarious because the Braves still are not, you know, not not playing the way they want to play. But uh, he has not been in the top five problems for the Braves this year when you factor all this in. Obviously, he was terrible early again, but people were really piling on him as like a major, major, major issue. And maybe he will be again. But for two months now, he hasn't been. He's been fine. Yeah, I worry a little bit simply because he never profiles to me as a guy that's going to be a low walk but low strikeout guy. I agree. And it's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, again, if he's not missing bats, then you wonder how long this is going to stick. But I'm enjoying it while it's happening. I'll put it that way. He's He's been he's been pitching well, and, you know, that's all you can really – for a guy on a one-year on one contract, you know, that you maybe weren't – you didn't sign this guy to be your ace – so if like he's has like a, a three and a half or four ERA and you know is you know giving you some pretty quality innings for the most part, you take that all day long. Most you know what I mean, like it's, especially given the situation the Braves are in, where they can barely find healthy enough pitchers to even throw at all. So you know again, in terms of like Drew Smiley, like did they maybe overpay for him a little bit in, in the hopes that they were going to get something a little bit better uh, when they did sign him to that one year deal? Maybe, but. Considering kind of how he's bounced back, you know, I, that's certainly something that I feel better about. Uh, don't feel quite as good about the fact that the, the for the Rays to win a game where he pitched well, so required the for Guillermo Heredia to you know be a hero, all around, yeah, an absolute all star, you know, at the plate and in the field to make that happen. So, listen, the offense has been terrible, and we should talk about this now because I wanted to at least plug it in the middle with some Drew Smiley love and shots to Drew Smiley who. We never stopped believing, Drew. It was us. We were only, we were the last people here. I kind of I, I kind of gave up. I stopped believing a little bit. I did stop. Uh, me, me too. I got, I'm, I'm mostly kidding. Uh, we were higher on him than most coming into the year. I I did not. Uh, I, I definitely wavered. I'm not going to tell you I didn't in the middle, but uh, he has been totally fun. Uh, to the offense though. So they lose four one on on Saturday uh, earlier today as we're talking. Uh, I will say this as a courtesy to the Braves' offense. They were better than one run in this game. They had eight hits and four walks and had some major bat-bip unluckiness. Like, I think there was at least three, maybe four, 110-mile-an-hour exit velocities that did not end in productivity. Um, Austin Riley had an absolute rope that would have given the Braves the lead, and it was not 
Uh, it did not fall for him as a good example. <laughs> Instead, it landed right in the third baseman's glove. Yep. Correct. So, I, I want to just say that out loud. Like, if you watch the if you watch the game today in particular, they didn't quote unquote deserve to score one run today. I didn't think they hit the ball better than that. But taking a step back, this is from Mark Bowman. So, courtesy of Mark here, uh, the Braves have scored three runs or less in nine consecutive games. That is bad. Um, that is their third longest streak of doing that since 2000. And the only other times they did that was 2014-2015, when they were not how they are now. So, uh, the good news, if you want to find that, is that they didn't go 0-9. Like, they, they, actually had, they actually won some games in that stretch. But the more important news is that the offense, which had been carrying them in the absence of their bad pitching... Early on the season, you know, just keeping them afloat, basically, the offense has cooled. And they couldn't really afford that, um, given where they are and the whole they they've sort of dug themselves. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I'll give you the numbers for the season. The power numbers are still good for the year. They're top five in home runs. They're seventh in slugging. But they're now, like, middle of the pack in a bunch of offensive categories. Like, runs, they're 12th, which isn't terrible. But this is a team that needs to be pretty great on offense. Last year, they were top three offense in the league. This year they are not they are not that and that's a reason not the only reason but that's a reason why they're why they are where they are right now. Yeah, I mean, look, the some of the issues like especially over the last week or so. I mean, they they played three doubleheaders in the past week. You know what I mean? Like that's pretty that's pretty tough for any team to kind of like in terms of just like fatigue and you just don't have a day off. And that's also that's also the know. asterisk by the way on that on that stat for moment. There there were I believe yeah. what, were there four seven inning games in there. Yeah, yeah. So, so that makes you let make factor that in less. Less less opportunities to score runs per game theoretically, um, and you know like this is a team that is also again like I was talking about. I mean, when you have Kevin Smith and Aaron Ciarte, oh god, Kevin Smith. And, <laughs> oh, who, sorry, Kevin. Who, who, whoever who who people are clamoring for over William Contreras, I'm like, you guys have lost your minds. I mean, um, honestly. Yeah, I, but by the way, William Contreras, who everyone was dogging at, like, who, who could, like, you know, who, for reasons I don't really understand, Mark Bowman seems to have a personal vendetta against, and, like, the rest of the beat writers seem to kind of jump on the bandwagon, had two hits to the gay, who I'm, which I'm pretty sure, like, has out-hit Kevin Smith. Oh, his, his bat, the his bat is not a problem at all. Like, uh, I mean, his glove is not great right now, but uh, all, all, all due respect to Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith... I, I don't understand. I mean, I'll, I'll cop to not knowing a lot about him before he arrived in the big leagues with the Braves. I, I don't, I don't understand what he, the appeal of Kevin Smith is. <laughs> Having watched him now for a few weeks, I don't, I don't get that. I don't get that at all. He does not look like a, uh, a real option to me. And, and when you're running those three guys at the bottom of your lineup, it's basically, it's like three pitchers. And so I can understand why that would pull down your offensive numbers a little bit. I mean, this is a really dinged up lineup. It, they're, I'm sure they're gassed. You know, like Ronnie's been battling, you know, little nagging injuries here and there. You know, I mean, I'm sure everyone's kind of having to deal with a little bit of stuff right now. This is a team that really needs the day off. It really, like that that day off on Monday can't come fast enough, I don't think. And you know, hopefully they can. Get, I, I don't think that I mean like Freddie Freeman seems like he's like kind of starting to come back into things. Ozzy is famously streaky, and it would be nice if he kind of went on like a month long tear again, where he you know is one of the better hitters on the entire team, but. I mean, Dansby, I mean, Austin's cooled off. Dansby's been really kind of all over the place. Well, mostly. I mean, we, as much as we talk about Swanson, by the way, and as streaky as he is, uh, which we all kind of know, Riley is similar. I mean, we all rightly praised Riley for his sure. incredible run. Sure. But I pulled the numbers. Like, essentially, Riley's had three seasons so far. He was absolutely awful for 15 games. 
hit his sub 500 OPS. Then he went nuts for 40 games or so with a thousand OPS. And then since then, it's back to sub 500. Like it's been, he's not the only one. Dave is always like that. And these, but you know, Riley has suddenly been like a mortal again. And maybe that's just who he's going to be. I have no idea, but it's what happened before. I mean, Riley had the one incredible stretch early. And then he, maybe he's just going to be this guy where he is, you know, a Brooks Robinson for two months. And then he's just not the rest of the time. I don't, I have no idea, but it's to your point I mean, there. It's crazy. I mean, look, look, like the ball, the way he's been hitting the ball, I, I think that he's certainly not going to be just. No, I, I, yeah, I'm still I, higher I, on I, him now than I was pick, you know, for sure. Um, I just think it's worth pointing out that like he, he kind of has been a roller coaster ride. I, I'm still, I still buy in now more than I did. So I will definitely own that. Like I'll, I was too low on him, I think, but it's, I, I, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to put this to you, Brad. Okay. Dansby Swanson was the leadoff hitter for the Braves in Ronnie's absence for those couple of games when he was dealing with that sore back. Yeah, that was interesting. By the way. If, uh, <laughs> if I have, if without looking it up, you're not allowed. What would you guess that Dansby's on-base percentage is this year? Oh, it's hilarious. I think I got Scott with one of these a couple weeks ago on his WRC Plus, and he actually guessed way lower than it was. But his OVP is pretty low. I, I, I would say it's definitely under 300. I will go to 92. 283 hitting leadoff. Yeah, I mean, and, and and again, like, and that's the guy that's batting batting fifth. Also, you know, Dan, Dansby's on pace for like 28 home runs. I saw the other day. Like, he's that's and not much else. That's what I'm saying. Like, Dansby's like suddenly uh, morphed into the guy he was not supposed to be. You know, if you, I mean, you remember this for sure. When he was coming up as a prospect, he his one of his carrying traits was supposed to be his, you know, his hit tool basically. Um, yeah. And like, like like a high batting average guy, like that's not power, who he's yeah. been. Not, I mean, yeah, not, he, he always had some power, but he's this year at least has been the complete inverse of that. Like he's his uh, power has carried him to being a you know an average ish offensive player at shortstop. But the hit tool, I mean, is his career batting average like two forty something, two fifty? It's pretty low. I don't care about batting average much, uh, but uh, two forty seven uh, career. Career WRC plus of 86. Okay, I mean, yeah, that so, I buy. But okay, what, what, why do you have it up? What's his OBP for his career? 316. That See, that's that's the number that, that will concern me. I don't care about batting average much, but a sub 320 OBP, especially when you can run like he can, because he can fly, as we all know. Like, it's, yeah, he, he, can run. He, he brings value both when he gets on the base pass, but a guy who can run like him should not have, should not be carrying an OBP that low. It just, that shouldn't be happening. That's, bizarre anyway so so i now pose this question to you bradley oh assuming a world where dansby swanson is supposed to be getting let's say between eight and nine million dollars in arbitration this offseason he's worth that you think yeah i mean if, objectively i know the i know the value versus war calculation is like a bit askew right now because of the weirdness last year and the market's been a little bit dried up in in some respects but I think he's still been worth like what between like one and a half and two and a half or like three years in a row, basically something like that. Uh, he, he's ne- he's never, he's, he's never gotten above two war. Well, last year, last wise. year he would, last year he would have shattered it. I think wouldn't he have like yeah, over a full yeah, season. I, I agree. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think, you know, if you do the old school calculation of, or, you know, eight, nine million is basically less than a win. Now I think that's probably not up to date. But yeah, I think if you just take what he's been the last three seasons and put it in an amalgamation, 
you're not thrilled, but I think he he earns that money. Like it's not. Well, so he's worth that amount of money, but do you non-tender him because maybe there's an opportunity cost as well? Because there might be multiple chances for you to upgrade the position, seeing as how you might have a good bit of money next well, year. Well, here's 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 my counter. My counter would be: Don't you think, as a former number one overall pick, he would have some trade value? Like, there I know, is that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm saying, if you're going to give up on Dan, on Dan's, which I'm not, I'm not advocating that necessarily, but if you were going to try to go a different direction and cut your losses a little bit, I think you can trade him. I think you can pick up the option and trade him or do something like that. I, I think that he he's not not cheap anymore at that number for sure, but I think there is enough shine. He's still relatively young. What's he, 26, 27? Yeah, 27. Um, I think you could probably trade him on that contract. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get a ton, I don't think. But I don't think you need to non-tender him if you're going to give up on him. That makes sense. It's not like Adam Duvall where like you couldn't get yeah, him for him. Um, Dansby, I think I think he's still better than what a lot of teams have at shortstop. Long story short, like he wouldn't be a top ten guy in position or anything like that. But I think he is a starting shortstop, even at his current level for what ten teams, more than that maybe. Like Probably. shortstop's pretty ugly when you get down to the bottom. Like especially when you factor in his talent and what his upside is. Like last year. Granted, a small sample size, but he was, like, genuinely good. Like, had, over a full season, I'm pretty sure he was, like, a three-and-a-half, four-win player, if you extrapolate it last year from what he was doing. Like, he was a, not a star, right, but yeah. the next tier down. Like, that's how good he was last year. So, I don't necessarily buy that, but I think he's kind of proven to be a starting caliber shortstop. Whatever that, whatever that means to you, <laughs> that's kind of that's where I, that's what that's the way that I think about. It. I mean, do do you disagree? Like, I, I think of him as like I, I don't, the twentieth best shortstop in the league. I, I I think that that's a position. I mean, with with the free agent class this, this coming off season, I think that there's a, a an argument to be made that that's one of the easier positions to upgrade, other than like the outfield. Well, especially right especially if you lose your first baseman. We'll come back to that later on. Oh uh, goodness gracious! But uh, you know uh, what I mean. No. Uh, you know, if, if you suddenly have a, um, and again, this is going to be a discussion for later on, not not today. But it is real that between the Ozuna limbo money, uh, between Freeman maybe not being there, um, they they might have some money to spend. And I agree with you in terms of the free agent market. You know, Trevor Story's been out there for a while as a guy that they might go try to get and all that stuff. But yeah, Dansby at nine million versus a better player at twenty is a discussion to have. But if if you're Liberty Media and you're Terry McGurk and you're Alex Anthopoulos, you might like to have your shortstop be okay at eight million. I don't know. And spend that and spend that money elsewhere. He's also popular. I mean, to be honest, yeah, they they probably care about this more than they should. But Dansby's very popular. You know, he's a local guy. Um, he, he he sells jerseys. People like him. So that may not be the end-all, be-all, but it probably matters on some level in practical real-life terms. I don't know. Yeah, no. Like, uh, it, it's, it's certainly an interesting argument. I've been going back and forth on it. Like, uh, there's certainly days where I'm like, okay, it's just time to be moving on from Dansby. But, like, the overmean, like, he's been worth almost a win this year, too. Like, and that's him not looking very good in large aspects of his game. So, you know, I, it's something that I definitely waffle back and forth on, especially when, <laughs> look, I, I know that everyone's like, you know, the Braves should just get rid of this guy and then go after the big guy, you know, go after big names. This administration in the Braves front office has shown no indication that they're yeah, going to do that. Yeah, they're not going to do that. I mean, the old, think about the contracts they've given out 
that are of real, you know, multi-year big money. It was Will Smith, who that was a weird contract, but it wasn't that much money. It wasn't, you know, in terms of like your normal big con. It was a lot for a reliever. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like you're giving him a hundred million dollars. Like that was a right multi-year commitment. But and then the other guy is Marcelo Zuna, and that's a whole separate category. But a they got a great deal on Marcelo Zuna, like in terms of the value at the time, it pretty much got universal praise for what you were probably getting versus what you spent. And he had just performed at an MVP caliber level, leading, helping to lead the team in NLCS. Like that, that was, that happened. And he, I think they got a good deal on him. I mean, again, that's before all the stuff that's happened since then. So they haven't gone out and signed a true free agent to any, I mean, they haven't even been in the market. There wasn't even a report. I mean, all the big money guys that have been out there, maybe I'm forgetting one, but has there even ever been even a link between the Braves and anybody else that was an actual big money free agent ever? I mean, I mean, Josh, Josh Donaldson. I mean, yeah. The year year after he left. Well, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, okay. I should, I should say a guy that wasn't already on their team. (laughs) <laughs> the previous well, year, yeah, but that, that, that's, I mean, that, that was kind of the questioning tone, right? It's like you know, in terms of like the guys who are expected to make real money and get it over a, a, a number of years, like that's pretty much been it. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's, yeah, it's been one year deals, or it's been guys that were already on the team, except for Will Smith, and that was an outlier. But again, what's it like forty million dollars total? That's not that's not a huge contract. It's just not. I mean, it's, it was big for a lever for sure, but I don't know. It's you can't bank on them going out to the organization and doing something until they actually do it. Uh, so I mean we're, we're far afield they, now, and, but I don't know. And they, and, they, and they need to, by the way. Well, yeah, so I, the, there's only you can only have so much success shopping in the one year deal. Well, bin, and and, as, and especially turn. because if this if this season and it may not it may it may be it writes the ship at some point. If this season ends the way it started, and they're a middling franchise, and we'll probably do this in a couple of weeks if we need to. If this, if it hasn't gotten better, we should talk about them selling midseason i mean we, we should talk about charlie morton maybe being traded we should talk about guys who are uh, i mean honestly we're gonna have to talk about freddie i mean i'm not saying that's gonna happen zero, yeah, zero I'm no no zero, but 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 yeah. okay I, yeah. I, I understand but we're gonna at least spend 10 minutes on this podcast if they have not come anywhere near a extension because it's malpractice if you're way out of the race and you think you can't sign freddie to not look at trading him I'm not saying they have to do it, but th- just remove it. Okay, remove the Freddie aspect. I, I, you can't do that, and I, don't yeah. know, I understand. Yeah. But if you just think, okay, superstar player, if you're 12 games out at the end of July and the guy's on an expiring deal and you're nowhere near an extension and you're the Braves who, who don't like to spend money, like you have to have a conversation about it. I'm not saying you have to do it. But you're burying your head in the sand if you think that they shouldn't at least think about trading Freddie. If they, again, if they think they can't sign him, that's a huge thing that we don't have. We don't. We don't have the answer to that. Alex is not going to come out in the middle of the season and say, you know what, we can't sign Freddie. He's not going to say that. But internally, yeah, he, internally, and, and, if you knew, if you knew that you were so far apart that no one was going to approve the deal that Freddie wanted, and you knew that it was more likely than not that he was going to leave, you have to think about it if they're out of the race. Yeah, and again, like you know, the the whole comes down to how much you get for a half season of Freddie Freeman versus the qualifying offers. Yeah, you don't get you don't, like, you don't, you don't that, get that, that, those are those are those are like actual calculations that you have to kind of think about. And hopefully that won't happen. I mean, maybe 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 they'll make a run in the next month, and we right. we never had that conversation on the podcast. But I'm telling you, if they're ten games out in four weeks, 
that's a topic. It has to be a topic. It just does. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, it's not like no one's going to enjoy that topic. It's not going to be fun. I love Freddy. I mean, but that's going to have to come it, up. Yeah, and it certainly hasn't helped the, the narrative either that it seems like that the organization as a whole, and even in some respects, the beat writers aren't even willing to entertain the possibility that Freddie won't be in the, in the in a Braves uniform next year. Well, you have like, honestly, it, we're, like, we're well beyond that now. We have to that yeah. that has to be entertained with because, with the lack of well, stuff that's out there. Like, come on. Well, I mean, Anthopolis was asked about it, and he's like, "I'm going to respect Freddie, and I'm not going to talk about it." Well, and, and, I, like, and I get, I honestly get that, and but it was very clear early in, early in the season, even from the even from the beat guys, that Freddie was not thrilled. Like, it seems. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't know, we don't know where the, where the negotiations are, but we all thought, including the beat guys, that it was going to be done before the season started, and it wasn't. And now yep. we're three months in, <laughs> and there's been no movement and no talk, and the team's bad. I mean, not bad, but middling. So, I don't know. That's a whole non sequitur. We we can do that later on, but there are some decisions that have to be had, particularly if they're out of it. But even if they're not, you know, barring a crazy run here. You've not that you've wasted it all already, but at some point, the guys who you have massive discounts on, they're still massive discounts. Like Ronnie and Ozzy are still making a lot less than they should be, but they're going to be making decent money in the near future. Like not not enough by any means, but more than they're making now. Like in your payroll flexibility, you assume that yep. you know. Alex said that it was going to go up in that interview with Jeff Schultz. He said that they had flexibility to add at the deadline, but listen, man, there's a level where they're not going to buy. They're not buying if they're ten games out. They're not doing that. I don't think. Nope. No, I don't. I don't think they are. Either. You got You got to be in, and that's why it was so big. We talked about it last week with Scott and I. Like this is a big week, and they didn't. They, they didn't make their move. They have to make a move in, like in terms of well, in the standings in the next three, four uh, weeks. They have to do it. There's uh, urgency. I'll actually take that back, and I'll say that they're less likely to buy unless there are multiple years of control involved. Sure. I mean, yeah, there's those deals are always Yeah. If the deal, if there's a deal in place where you can get a guy that has two or three years of control that you really like, that's a little bit different, but like, you know, for these, like, but you know, they haven't done that. Are, As you know, no? they've kind of no. never done that. I mean, well, Gosman was the last time that they bought Duvall. somebody. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess Duvall, but that was even a, that was a stopgap measure when they did it. I mean, Duvall, yeah. as we all made fun of, that package was so weird going to Cincinnati that it was like the most strange uh, cast-off prospect package for Duvall. But yeah, I mean, that's not really, really buying. And those were very supplementary moves. Those were a step up from last season's moves at the deadline when they didn't really do anything. But yeah, I, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but they have to make their move in the standings on some level in the next couple weeks or they're not going to buy. They're just, and honestly, I'm someone who wants them to buy all the time and wants them to, pr- to press in and win games. But even I, if they're 10 games out on July 20th, I'll even, I'll be saying like, don't buy now. Why? Like, what's the point? Especially with all the holes that they have right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, if they're, if they're that far out, that means that like the internal fixes that, that, that have to go right for those moves to even matter. Well, Eric, I, I, will, I will, I will give you a scenario right now. Can you not hear this from Alex Anthopoulos? I can already hear it. It's whatever the day after the deadline is. Is it, is it July 31st, the deadline? August 1st, or even July 31st, he gives a press conference and, and talks about how really their deadline acquisitions are Travis Darno and Wasco. Oh, I know. Oh, yep. You know what I mean? Yes. That's, a, yep. that's a very, very Atlanta Braves press conference delivery when they're seven games out at the end of July. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like not, not enough to punt, but – 
like they're not totally out of it, but also they're not going to buy because deep down they know they can't really buy and and they can spin it and say, look, Trevstar knows better than anybody on the market. <laughs> I can already hear all of it. So uh, I, unfortunately, my adult son will not be on that list. Well, of, I, I, yeah, I started unquote, to... trade dead trade deadline acquisition. Well, that was kind of already out there. They, they they did that. Yeah, a couple no, weeks and ago. I and I yep, and I made myself sad thinking about it again. It's. Bringing yeah. food, that, was, that was a full circle moment of the podcast an hour later um, to bring, bring yeah. Mike back in the mix. But, I mean, I don't know. Let's just end this thing talking about what's going to happen the next seven days or so. But So, again, it's Saturday night. They're playing Sunday. Uh, but at the moment, they're three and four this week. That's not a disaster, but it's not great. And as of Saturday night, they are six games back of the Mets and eight games back in the loss column. And their playoff chances at 538. It's only one projection, but... It's 16% to make the playoffs. And as I pointed out on Twitter this week, they were uh, in ninth place in the wildcard race <laughs> as of two days ago. So they are much more likely to win the division than they are to make the wild card at this moment. Uh, and you're eight back in the loss column in the division. That's not a great place to be. So... Nope. As, as much as we've consistently said, at least I have, I don't know where you are on this, I guess I'll ask you now, um, as much as I've said, this is, this is not over, and it only takes one, you know, 10 and 2 stretch to be back, to be right back in the mix, we can't say that every week, and we keep saying it, and they keep going 3 and 4, or 4 and 3, or 3 and 3 every week, and if you do that, they're four games under right now, man, like, they, this this is a big opportunity this week, but I said that a week ago, I mean, they, they, they come home and they play the Marlins, Sorry, the Mets first and the Marlins. If you sweep the Mets, like, yeah, you're right back in it. You're three back or whatever it's going to be. But if you lose two out of three of the Mets and you don't beat the Marlins, like, it's teetering. I mean, we all know it, but it's just worth saying out loud. Like, it is, they are teetering right now. At four games under 500 at the end of June, it's like put up or shut up time. They got to win. I'll just go ahead and say this for this next week. And I usually don't do this because it's like baseball's a long season, but now we've had like enough of a sample of kind of what this team is and kind of how they perform like in weeks where they should have made hay and they didn't. And, you know, like every time they seem like they've turned a corner that, you know, they take a step back. If the Braves don't have a winning record next week, they're not going to make the playoffs. I mean, you're probably, you're probably right. Uh, I don't think it's probably, I mean, and that's okay. I, I would say a, you're probably right. B, if they go three and three, like they're not dead. But if they go one and five, they might be. You know what I mean? I, I think I think even three and three, like they're just there's at that point you have less games that you can like make up relatively well, straightforwardly I, I, against I, I, the I, Mets. I, I think I think the math's on your side. To be fair, like let's yeah. let's say let's say they won they they won on Sunday, um, and then they go three and three, like that means they're three games under on July fourth, basically. Like, I just they, I mean they, they're not they're not dead, but they're like sub twenty percent to make the playoffs at that point. They already are. Well, I know. I mean, they already are. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I'm just saying. But this is a Mets. Like the Mets are obviously the team that they have to beat. And I mean, not that the Mets are like definitely won the division, but the Mets are the team that has the separation right now. They're five games up on the rest of the division. So if you were doing the, this, the, like the biggest series of the season so far begins on Monday, and we said the same thing last week. Or I guess this week about the Mets series, and they, they, they end up splitting it 2 2. But, you know, there's no debate. The biggest series of the season to this point is Monday at home. Sorry, it's Tuesday at home against, against New York. That's it. I mean, that's if they, if they go, if they get swept in that series, they're probably dead. If they go one and two, they're in trouble. If they win the series, you feel like you have more of a chance. I mean, it's, that's oversimplifying it, 
but it's not it's not wrong. I mean, if, if they got swept, let's say, okay, Eric, I tell you this right now, they get swept against the Mets. Do you just think it's over? Because like I might think that I'm not. They, at that yeah, point, at that I, point, I, at that point, you're and, nine back and eleven in the loss column, like and and like way under five hundred, and it's also I mean like I, I'm not even trying to evaluate these things in a vacuum. The Nationals are getting hot again, and. You know, that's another team that's going to try to search past the Braves, and they're playing a lot better, and they have a rotation that is still relatively scary, at least in terms of the names that they have. Well, and they're they're projected to be basically as good as the Braves in all the models right now. Like, it's the Mets, and then it's a big gap in terms of the projection systems. The Phillies are below so you, those if, two, but... So if you, but if you think that the Nationals, like, if you buy that they like are playing at the Braves' level like over the course of the rest of the season, but they're playing better right now. And like all this, like if they don't have a, like if they do not have a winning record next few week, and I'm not, again, I'm not even sure if like the four and three, if they win tomorrow and then going three and three, the best way even counts. Like if they don't have a good week next week, then I think that they're not going to make the playoffs. And I will, I mean like I'll, I'll happily have that thrown in my face at the end of the season. If that's not, you know, they end up going two and five and then, you know, going on like some Dodger-esque type streak the rest of the way. I will happily have that clip play, play the rest of the way, but I just don't see it. And I will I pull and I, and I will pull it just just in case. Go, absolutely, go if ahead. If you come on the go pod ahead. and say that's over, I'm going to I'm going to pull that and pull that audio. Um that's probably enough for this week. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground here. Uh, you know, unfortunate with Mike Soroka, not the best week in the world on the baseball field, not the worst week in the world, but also not not great, which is a familiar theme this season. Um that's probably it for me, Eric. Uh programming note um, we're recording this Saturday night because of Mike Soroka and also because the Hawks play game three on Sunday night at home. So I had no chance to record Sunday night. So that's why we're a day early. Um, next week, I have some travel. So I don't know when our next podcast is going to be. So Road to Atlanta, I'm sure, will be coming in the near future. You could speak to that in a second. But um, we'll be here at some point. Please subscribe to the podcast. I don't know if it'll be in our normal slot. In fact, I know it won't be if it's me on the podcast. Maybe, maybe it'll be Eric and somebody else. But um, if it's me, it'll not be a week from now. I'll be out of touch. But... Subscribe to the podcast. I'll do a lot of fun stuff. Eric, anything else you want to share with people other than, other than Road to Atlanta, which continues to roll on? Absolutely. Uh, if you subscribe to this podcast, not only do you get this fine podcast hosted most of the time by the great Brad Roland, uh, as, as well as occasionally by myself and or Scott Coleman, you also get the Road to Atlanta podcast, which is the Braves minor league podcast that I host, uh, along with a regular rotation of the, the Talking Shop minor league guys. We're trying to give everyone lots of chances to be on that podcast. That will be happening tomorrow. We're going to be talking draft tomorrow. Uh, going into this week too, we're going to be—we're still cranking up our draft coverage and rolling out positional rankings in terms of the guys that he likes in the draft. So not only will you like kind of a good sense of who the first guy, first round guys that you might like, but if there's you know like guys that are like seven and eight on his like third base rankings and things like that, it might give you some insight as to kind of the guys that the Braves could be targeting you know in later rounds and things like that as we prepare for the draft. That's really kind of sneaking up on us because it's at a weird time and all of a sudden it feels like it's going to be happening like a like really really soon and it's kind of freaking me out a little bit but matt's been really kind of on top of all that so we're gonna be doing some draft talk next uh on tomorrow well, not tomorrow because this isn't sunday like this whole schedule is throwing me off monday right? throwing me off yeah on monday uh the we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the draft i mean the, dra- the draft is targets. two the draft is two weeks from tomorrow yep july july 11th is, i believe is the date for yep. the draft so yeah we're, yep, we're day, getting very close day, day, yep day one of the draft happening on a sunday of course that's 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 something that seems that they should be doing. That is but, uh, uh, that is not it, it, my it, it, strength, but I will rely, I will rely on you. And uh, shouts to Matt, who uh, I will be listening to a lot in the next couple of weeks. 
Yep, it, th- and that'll be fun. So we have draft coverage rolling out on the site as well. Make sure you're keeping an eye on that. And uh, as usual, the the minor league coverage continues to roll o- roll along on on the site for Talking Chop. We're going to. I know there is a current effort to to interview a one Jesse Franklin in the near future. So keep an eye out for that. Can I can uh, I just he, be on the call and I won't say anything. I'll just I'll just be on, I'll just be on there on mute. Is that right? <laughs> be, that'd be that'd be on brand. My that'd God, be, my God, Jesse. I I just need whoever interviews him. If it's if it's you or whoever it is. I just need somebody to ask him about Michigan at some point on, on the on the interview. That's all I need. I don't oh, care about anything else. I, I, I'll I'll make I'll make it happen. Just slide uh, something worry. in for me. I can write a question. Whatever you need me to do, I will contribute to that in whatever way possible. But Jesse Franklin has been red hot, folks. My guy has been red hot <laughs> recently. So he he really has been. So just keep an eye out for the site. Uh, and as for my personal stuff, you can follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, I am also podcasting, not quite as much as Brad has been, but uh, a lot more Close. these days. Uh, and you can, and you can come to. Uh, you can come to the my Twitter account where you can kind of find when those trap podcasts drop. I do my own Brave Cop podcast as well as a general minor league podcast and a sports card collecting podcast as well, all of which I'm having a lot of fun with. Eric, I got to be honest with you. I am I'm downloading those podcasts. I will probably never listen to the card one, but I do download it for you. Thank you, Bradley. That's I appreciate all, that's all I'm, I'm going sure, I'm, 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 I'm to make sure I get you a Jesse Franklin card. That's, well, let's, what, that's, let's, that, that, that is my mission. And on that, on that note, if you ever find yourself, listeners – uh, where you don't have time to listen, or you're just caught up, or if it's a topic you don't like, a click would be nice. I'm just uh, you can subscribe, resubscribe, and download. We, and we, we, we love a, clicks. It's, we appreci- love it's, appre- appreciate. it's appreciated to be uh, to be supported. And thanks to everybody who's been listening to the podcast. We've gone very long tonight, but I appreciate Eric's efforts um, to talk about all things Braves with me. Um, subscribe, tell your friends, check out Road to Atlanta and Eric's other ventures. Follow him on Twitter at Leprechaun. Follow me at BT Roland. Follow the site at Talking Chop and also read TalkingChop.com. That's very important as well. And we'll see you next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.